As we continue in our Christian worldview sermon series, I thought the tiding would be title would be somewhat intriguing. I had a couple people say, "I can't wait for that one." Uh, How America thinks, which getting into this has made my head hurt a little bit. But uh, I always want to start with a scripture. We're going to hit this one a little bit later. But when you're doing this kind of systematic way of looking at things. Uh, you want to make sure you're couched in that, and we will look at a number of them, of course, but uh, Luke 6, 43, we'll go down to the end of the chapter. Jesus says, for no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit, for each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor grapes picked from bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good And the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil, for out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my word and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against the house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who builds his house without a firm foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of the house was great. So we're looking at worldview. This is one way to build the worldview is look at what Jesus said. That's what we've been talking about. Kind of this is our kind of working definition. It's the overall perspective from which someone sees and interprets the world around them. So your values, your morals, your beliefs. Uh, we defined, uh, like we, uh, Barna, and I think I, I definitely agree with him that a biblical worldview is thinking like Jesus. And so that's what the rest of these are all about. So w- one of the reasons I really, really like this sermon is because it has some statistics in it. Uh, for those of you who don't know, I was an actuary for probably a lot longer than I should have been. No, it's like 13, 14 years. A lot of statistics, uh, math, uh, enjoyed that. So when I get into these, it's kind of fun. So what I've tried to do is synthesize these statistics. And I've heard there are people like this. I'm sure it's none of you, but I've heard some people don't like statistics. Um, It's, you know, I've heard that 65% of people can make up statistics on the spot. Do what you want with that one. So what Barna does is he takes and he, he comes up with this born-again Christian. Um, for some of us, some people born again became kind of a weird term because of the, of the method a lot of that was in the 70s and the 80s. And I'm not necessarily saying the method was bad. It just got a kind of a negative term. But this is a born-again Christian for Barna's research study. This is someone who say they have a personal connection with Jesus and... They believe they're going to heaven because Jesus has forgiven their sins. So this is really the only two criteria, and then he would ask questions of these people, and then we get statistics, which is what we'll do. Well, where does that come from? Of course, John 3, 3, Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, no one who is not born in cannot see the kingdom of God. So you have to, what is born again about being able to see the kingdom of God? You know, most people read that, well, I'm born again, so I'm saved. Well, yeah. But all born again is, it's called regeneration. You know, generation is creation and regeneration is recreation so that you can now see the kingdom of God clearly and what's demanded of you for salvation and service. That's what this verse is about. And then about forgiving their sins. Well, John, a little bit later, uh, John three sixteen through 18, uh, 
God loved the world in this way or showed his love this way. He gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life, salvation. For God, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. That's the salvation part. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because they have not believed in the name of the only Son of God. So that's a, it's a, those three verses are wonderful. It gives us a lot of good things. You get the, how God shows his love for us. We get what the first coming of Jesus was all about. That's verse 17. His first coming was not for condemnation. It was for grace. And in 18, those who do not accept the grace are condemned already, and the second coming will be for judgment. Um, and people say, well, I don't know if I like that. And it's like, I don't care if you like it. Uh, it's what it said. You, is it true? That's the main thing. So, born-again Christians. So this is, we're going to talk about moral authority, spiritual disciplines, and then how this works out in your life in the first half of the sermon here. Statistically, you know, you're taking a lot of statistics together to make this up. So this is born-again Christian, that's a back, if you're wondering, uh, a born-again Christian that rely on the Bible as their moral compass, so they have that, and they believe that moral truth is objective. And we'll talk about what that means in a second. Look at that number. 14% of people, and this was in 2012, I guess, I don't know if it's gotten better or worse. People who say they're born again say that, you know, I have a personal connection with Jesus and that I've been saved from my sins. 86% of those people do not believe both of these things. American adults is 6%, which I was kind of buoyed up by that. Now, that would be, obviously, born-again Christians would be a subset of that. Um, I was kind of hoping that number would be higher than that. But it gets worse. Um, if you think this is going to be a fun sermon, then, well, well later it will get fun. Uh, we've already had a lot of fun, right? Yeah, we'll have more fun. Spiritual beliefs. This is how Barnett does it. He has six spiritual beliefs that he would qualify as somebody who's truly not only born again, but a, a true, objective Jesus follower, disciple. And these are the six things. That God is all-knowing, all-powerful creator. That he has unlimited power, has un, un, unlimited knowledge. Uh, two, Jesus led a sinful or sinless life. Three, Satan is real. Four, a person cannot earn their salvation. Five, Christians have a responsibility to tell others about Jesus. And six, Christian, or excuse me, six, the Bible is accurate in all that it teaches. These are almost taken from our statement of faith. Um, Born-again adults, 9%, believe all six of these. And born-again young adults, which is anybody under the age of 30, and teenagers, it's 2%. Now, if you want to know, if you're a statistic geek like me, I can show you which ones are the big problems. Uh, three is a big problem for people. Uh, five is a big problem for people. Uh, unfortunately, four and six are becoming big problems uh, in our world today. You know, Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Jesus had a very high view of Old Testament, very high view of his own words. And this is the key here. 
Why is this a big deal? Well, these are six things, and some people don't believe them. Some people, Jesus thought these were all true. Jesus was very adept at telling people when they were wrong. One of my favorites in Matthew 22, you probably remember this a little bit. It's after the, or right before he gives the great commandment and about loving God with all our heart, my mind, and strength. But there's a disagreement about a theological issue about heaven and marriage and all this kind of stuff. And I love, this is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. And I always say it's red letter, and I probably should have put it up here, but it's, it starts out with three really cool words from Jesus. You are wrong. And I like that for a lot of reasons, because it's out there today. You know, one of the things that, that the born-again Christian is supposed to leave, believe in is that the morality is objective, that you can tell the difference between right and wrong, because if you can't, we got a problem, don't we? Objective means it doesn't matter who the subject is. Subjective means it does matter who the subject is. The best I've heard is Greg Kokel uses this in Stand to Reason. It's uh, insulin and ice cream. And if you've been in my Bible studies, we've talked about this. When I say to you that I know that butter brickle ice cream is by far the best ice cream in the world, if you disagree, you're wrong. Right? You're looking at me. That's subjective. That's taste. It's opinion, right? You might think, you know, rhubarb crunch is the best. I think that would be dull. But anyway, <laughs> the crunch might be good. I don't know. But, it, but, but, you, but you think about that. That's, that's, and we all do that. I've had people say that. Well, you know, that, that was the best malt I've ever had. And it's like, well, I didn't think it was that good. It's like, is somebody wrong? Jesus didn't say you are wrong because the Pharisees like different kinds of ice cream. He was talking about doctrine there. Now, insulin is another way. It's very, they will start with I. Uh, we even have people among us that have to worry about insulin, right? If I said to you, you know, I, I, think, I think it'd be better just to use Kool-Aid instead of insulin. You know, tastes better. You can just drink it. You don't have to inject it. You know, for me, I think I got diabetes, but I don't, but if I did. Um, but I think Kool-Aid's better. How's that going to work out for you? It's objectively true that insulin makes the difference, right? And it'd be, you would be wrong if you thought it was something else. That's objective. So when we say the Bible is objectively true, we're saying that it's true for everyone. No one comes to the Father except by me. That's not my belief, and then you can have your own, and you can come with. No, Jesus didn't say it that way. And when he talked to him, he said, you are wrong. Not about something as silly as ice cream, but something as important as salvation. And he goes on. I love the way he puts it. You are wrong because you do not know the Scriptures or the power of God. And you look at these six, and they're all in there. They're all in the Scripture, and they all give us power. I mean, you think about it. Father, may your name be holy. That kind of hits one, doesn't it? And two, holiness, perfection. Protection from evils in that prayer. That's kind of about number three. Forgive us our sins, the grace part, that's in there. That's number four. You know, five maybe isn't, and six are directly in that prayer, but it's the idea that what do you do in your life if you don't believe that the Bible is accurate in all it teaches? Who gets to decide that? You do. 
And one of the worst things you can do is have the gospel according to you. It's a matter of authority, isn't it? Is Jesus who he said? If he, if he is, that's the disconnect, right? Oh, I believe Jesus saves me from my sins, but I'm not going to really follow anything else. Well, how do you know that's right? If he really doesn't give a hoot how you act or how you treat people or how you spend your money or how you spend your time, then why would you believe he gives a hoot? Maybe he got salvation wrong too. You just kind of take what you want. We'll talk about that in a minute. So now why, this is why we, we, we can see now, right, why America so rarely thinks like Jesus, because most of America doesn't believe like Jesus. And that might be belief, or it may just be ignorance. We got people who will binge watch stupid comedies, but they won't read their Bible to save their soul. No pun intended, but that's pretty punny. It's like, I don't get it. I, I, especially if they're, if they're not Christian, yeah, do the world stuff, you know, put your head in the sand and other places. I, I can't do anything about that. But these are people who say they're Christian. We got kids that come out of high school saying they believe in Jesus, and by the time they're, in, they're done with their freshman year, never look like they really did. Maybe it's because we're not training them good enough. This is a training sermon if you wanted one. In fact, they all should be to some extent. You got to scratch where it edges, as Hayden Fry used to say. Sorry, you Nebraska fans, but, um, and Iowa State fans, I guess. Does it look like it really matters? James tells us, the, you know, someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. James is a book, and Jesus says the same thing. We just read it. What does a good tree bear? Good fruit. What does a bad tree bear? Bad fruit. And how are we supposed to graciously judge folks? By their fruit. I mean, it's pretty much the same thing. So people with a biblical worldview, that's the people who believe these six things, along with the born-again stuff, they're four times more likely than born-again Christians to pray for their leaders. You know, the best thing you could probably do for your leaders is pray for them. That's your church leaders, that's your state leaders, your local leaders, and your national leaders, maybe even your world leaders. I mean, I think it's fairly easy, right? If all the people in Washington actually really followed Jesus, a lot of things would get better. This that'd be my vote. Two times, two times more likely to volunteer to help the needy. Twice as likely to tell others about Jesus. Four times more likely to reject the idea that the Koran and the Mormon scriptures teach the same basic truths. They do not. And if you think that, you are... Dull, ignorant. So this, these statistics, you know, again, statistics don't matter if they don't apply to life, right? That's why you, when, you, when you're at the end of a basketball game and you're up by one or down by one and you need to get the ball back, you don't follow the guy that statistically hits 95% of his free throws. You want to hit the guy that gets up there. You want to find Bricklayer Jones, right? The guy who hits you know, 10% on a good day. Again, statistics do matter in life, and these are, again, there's maybe some 2, two or 3% each way, but this is sobering for us. Now, what does that do for you? Well, don't do that, to quote hee-haw. Um, you know, if something is not making you close to Christ, then quit doing that, and, and, and know the scriptures and the power of God. And then finally, spiritual development. 
Jesus never said that you can claim him as Savior and not strive to be obedient. In fact, he said the exact opposite. We just had it in Luke. Well, look at this Matthew version. To every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. He's really talking about false prophets there, but I think he's talking about all people. So you might say we had that at the welcome. Well, once in a while I do some bad fruity things. I wish I didn't. And you all know what to do. Now, do you repent? Well, kind of, but mostly you want to confess. <laughs> We've got that down, right? That's the good thing. It's a good thing to confess. That's good fruit. You know, somebody else, Calvin, Calvin, we had that, John Calvin, you know, how do I know that I'm saved? Do you feel guilty when you sin? And he also said later, how do you, what do you do when you sin? You should go to the throne of grace with confidence, asking for what we talked about, the kid, mercy. That's good. That's the good fruit. It's not that you do everything perfect, but when you do mess up, you, you, you go to the Christ that can help you bear good fruit. It's not about perfection. It's about motive. It's about your mind. But Jesus goes on. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. I don't think people read this one because we act like we just say some words and it's good. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. We need unrighteousness. That's the key here, folks. You ever think, you know, we'll ask people, it's like, well, do you know Jesus? And, that, and that's an okay question. You, it might confuse people. You notice I use the word connection, not, not relationship. I've talked to people, but, and I think relationship's a good word. It is, but when somebody says, I have a personal relationship with Jesus, when I say that to somebody, they're like, well, you going to go golfing with him this afternoon? Are you guys going to talk about your problems and all that? It's a different relationship. So I think the word connection, it's personal. You got to put personal in there a personal connection. What he's saying, these people don't have it. Why? Because they're workers of iniquity. They are bad trees because they produce bad fruit. That's the key. That is what we have to remember. Too many Christians merely ask him to save them from eternal punishment without also giving time, energy, and diligence to know his word and think like Jesus. That's what Christians are supposed to do. And they really have no personal connection. At least that's what Jesus said. You can say, Lord, Lord, all you want. But do you really follow Jesus if you don't even feel guilty, if you cheat people out of money? Do you really feel like you're following Christ when you flip somebody off on the freeway because they cut you off and you don't even worry about it? And maybe you'll do it, but I hope at least you feel some guilt. It's kind of back to the welcome. When we confess, are we just saying, get rid of this so I don't get smacked, but I have no intention of stopping. One wonders if people have really repented. And that's, that's the key. We ask, do you know Jesus? The really probably a better question, does he know you? And how would he know you? Oh, that's the one that's trying to bear good fruit. The one over here that doesn't give a hoot 
how they act. He says, I don't know them. You know, we may be surprised on both sides when we get to heaven, if you're a believer. There may be people there, and you're like, you're here? And they'll look at you, and like, you're here? Well, cool, you know. Um, and you may be surprised if people aren't there. I don't know. That's up to God. And what do we do? It's not our job to say you're saying. That's not what this is saying. It's saying, and if you're going to point something out to somebody that you got some bad fruit going on, you better do it because you love them, not because you're just trying to say, well, they've got bad fruit, and I've got good fruit, so it makes me look better. Just shut up. Just don't say anything. If you're not doing it because you love them. You know, how would I do it? I'd probably say something like, you know, it just doesn't look like the things you're doing really line up to things that are honoring to Jesus. You know, can we help? Is there something going on? You know, can I help you with that? Can we help you with that? Am I missing something? I'm not going to question their salvation. I'll let them do that. But that's the problem. If you get into the point where your confession is just to get God out of your face, you know, I remember, you know, you get to the point that you get older in, in a relationship. I remember actually doing the dishes because it made her feel good, not because it just made her shut up. There's not, you know, Lynn dying is, is, is tough, but it, there's some things you just can't say anything, at least till I get back up there. <laughs> or, um, hopefully not. We'll find out, right? But I mean, that was, it is, can you, that, I think marriage is a good analogy here for a lot of us. Is think about that. One of the biggest problems in American marriage is we spend so much more time and money on the wedding than we do on the marriage. I always wondered, you know, it's like, you know, once in a while they'll throw us a bone, you know, once in a while. You'll get something. And, and I don't really want anything if I do a wedding because you're already paid by the church. That's why they call it an honorarium. You know, if people want to, that's fine. But the percentage is usually low on what they pay for. You know what we charge for premarital counseling? Maybe we should charge for that. That's a good idea. Write that down, someone. Maybe we'll, because sometimes they think, well, it's free. It must not be any good. <laughs> so that's the, but that's it. Think about your relationship connection with Christ. Do you just say, oh, you know, it was really nice. I came forward. It was cool. I love you. But then, you know, that's after now. I'm just going to kind of do my own thing. Too many marriages are like that. And then you get that dreaded divorce, right? You know, the good news is whether it's marriage or your connection to Christ, you can always get remarried. <laughs> Grace is still out there. Uh, maybe not every time in our relationships with each other, but every time with Jesus. How many times should we, should we forgive? 70 times 7. I mean, he'll be there for you. Unlike some spouses, I realize that. But we, we need to put time into this thinking like Jesus. Look at these scriptures, some from the old, some from the new. Psalm 86, teach me your way, O Yahweh, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. Psalm 119, blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart. Hosea 14, whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right and the upright walk in them, but transgressors stumble in them. And you get that in the New Testament too. Colossians 1, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Does that sound like a, just kind of a thrown out suggestion? Remember what we talked about the welcome. Those of you who are sinning in this regard, you might want to confess. And hopefully you're confessing, thinking, well, I'm going to keep not doing it. Well, no, I, I think I'd want to do it. 
or the confession really doesn't matter. Galatians 5, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. And finally, in 2 Timothy, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. So we are saved by faith. Works don't do anything for your salvation. I mean, I think that's very clear in the Bible. That's why they call it grace. But it should be shown by your motives and actions. And why do I say that? Because the Bible says that and Jesus says that all the time. So a true follower of Christ experiences insight. You realize that something's going on. You turn, you repent and follow him and put the old life away. And then you're transformed at the beginning and through the rest of your life. The one whose mind is focused on Christ. That's what this is about. And I think most churches make the bar way too darn low. Too many people have come to faith with cheap grace. Because Jesus clearly says, if you think you're saved because you said a prayer and your life does not show it, you are not. I mean, that's Jesus. That's not me. That is a doctrine out of the pit of hell, in my opinion. And we need to stop saying, because there's nothing in the Bible that says that. Yes, you have to make a decision. But we're not supposed to go into all the world and help people make decisions. We're supposed to go into all the world and make disciples, teaching them everything I have commanded you. Show of hands, how many people got to memorize everything he's commanded? Well, then you might have some work to do. So what worldviews are Americans following? I was going to put this in another sermon, so I thought we'll just take 30 minutes because you guys won't care. I get a laugh, yeah. Um, just to let you know, we'll always end on the same time. If you all stand up and say, oh, no, Pastor, we really want to know more, then we can go to lunch or something. Uh, I, don't, I don't think that's fair, you know. I could tell you the Spirit's moving, and the Spirit might move you right out of here, you know. So the expectation is for me to be done in five minutes, and I'm going to be done in five minutes, so or maybe six. So these are the what, naturalism. That's out there, you know. No creator, no God which means there's no purpose to survive. If you're wondering why suicides are up, kids don't have any purpose in their life, it's because the schools are teaching that they were created by no one. No purpose. You can't tell them they have no purpose and then wonder why they don't feel like they have a purpose. Pantheism. This is kind of, everyone is connected. Everything is God. God is not personal. You've got oneness and harmony and karma. Karma religions. I love karma religions. And that's, karma religion is just taking the grace and getting rid of it. You are saved by what you do. That's not what the Bible says. You show that you're saved by what you do. There's a big difference between those two. Nihilism. This was the atheist in the late 19th century, Nietzsche and the like. Um, nihilism is nothing exists. There's no knowledge and no meaning. One thing I'll say about uh, these guys is they were honest. If there's no God, your, your life has no objective meaning, not, not even close. Existentialism, life has no ultimate meaning, but it means what you determine it does. This is big today. You, you just give it meaning. You know, you can't, as an atheist, you can't, you know, if you're a guy, you know, it's Mother's Day, if you go up to your mom and say, you know, the synapses in my brain are making me have this feeling that's not real that I really love you. How's mom going to think that works? How would that work for 
relationship. That's what they believe, right? There's no th- love. Love is an emotion. Love is a non-physical thing. Well, that's not real. So you just kind of make it up as you go along. Postmodernism, purpose, meaning are local. It can never be imposed on anyone, so it's not objective. Nothing is absolute. Hypertolerance is the highest virtue. If you're hearing our world right now, this is feelings replace reason and experience replaces logic. But Jesus says he's the only way. Yeah, but that doesn't make me feel good. But Jesus said you, you're supposed to give your life to him and follow what he said and try to learn his word and live a life worth it. But I don't, I don't like that. It's all, you know, postmodernism is the navel gazing. It's all about you. And it is all about you, but it starts with Jesus. New Age, a smorgasbord worldview. This is out there in a lot of Christians. Individuals possess unlimited potential. You must look within to find truth, meaning, and purpose. You know, you just kind of take what you like. I like the Jesus teachings, but I don't like this only way stuff. And I certainly don't like loving your enemies. That seems to be a little bit over the board. This is, you've probably heard it. Search your feelings, Luke. I like Star Wars, but the worldview there is out of whack. What do you do when you search your feelings? Makes me feel mad. And then I got to search that feeling. Not good. Deism. God is a dispassionate, transcendent architect and creator. We had a lot of founding fathers that had this. They believed in God as creator, but he didn't really get involved. Jesus just messes this one up, right? Because he kind of got involved. And here's the one that I want to hit at the end here. Moralistic, therapeutic deism. Doesn't that sound cool? Let's all say it together. No, you don't have to do that. I don't like when people do that. What is it? It's moral. It gives you therapy, but it's deist. Here's the things this comes up with. God created. They believe that. This is a term out of a book from the, about 15 years ago. He wants you to be good, nice, and fair, as most religions teach. The central goal in life is to be happy and feel good about yourself. God's not much involved in one's life except to resolve a problem. And good people go to heaven when they die. Welcome to American Christianity. Look at the percentages. What do those other 86 or 91% believe? They believe this stuff. Go to a funeral. Well, he was a good guy. So, where does it say good guys go to heaven? In fact, I think most people think dead guys go to heaven. We're justified by death, but not Jesus, ours. I get that a lot. Well, he was a believer. He didn't act like it. He didn't show it. He didn't say anything about it. But boy, he was a believer. And I'm like, I guess God will know. Where are you getting this stuff? So ultimately, what's the big deal? The problem is that American Christianity has largely failed to affect society because the vast number of Jesus' modern disciples do not think like him. I think this is a fun sermon because I'm talking to myself. Do I do that all the time? You're really going to have to change how I play golf. Um, If I just make a good shot every time, it'd be much easier. But that seems so infrequent. So therefore, we don't act like him. And that's the problem, isn't it? Again, first of all, you have to know it. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? We read that. I mean, it's so simple. If you love me, keep my commandments. True Christians promise to follow Jesus as Savior and Lord. Come to him 
being heavy laden. He'll give you rest. He'll put that yoke of obedience on you so you can follow him. You never do it by yourself. Yes, God give you, will give you more than you can handle, but he's never going to give you more that you can't handle with him and others. And if you try to do it on your own, you will fail. Grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord, Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and forever, unto the day of eternity. Let us pray. Father, the prayer for everyone, including myself today, is just what we read in that last scripture as we look through all these statistics. and It's sobering, but may each one of us have the desire to grow in the knowledge and grace of you. Put you first. Not look at ourselves for salvation, but look at you. Not look at ourselves even to be a good person, uh, but confessing our sins and realizing that it's only through the transformation of your spirit that we can live a life that makes you proud. Amen.